Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone. Everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber Breakfast. We're now in our 45th episode of 2022. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank Nokia, the gold sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast. I'm in South America in beautiful Bogota at our LATAM Fiber Connect conference. You know, the conference is absolutely amazing with a fantastic turnout. We're extremely fortunate to have such high quality speakers from the region's top network operators. LATAM appears to be about two to three years behind the U.S. on fiber rollout, but they're catching up quickly. Last week, we held our regional Fiber Connect workshop in Columbus, Ohio. It was our biggest and best regional event to date. We heard from Ohio's CIO and from their state's broadband office and from Eric Leach and the team leading the Ohio's workforce development efforts. And we were joined by our friends from WI to discuss workforce development. Debbie and Mark also had a great turnout for the train the trainer session for our fiber optic technician program. Our next regional fiber connect event will be in Raleigh, North Carolina on February 7th. Today at 1 p.m., the industry associations will be holding our third webinar in our series to help educate the state broadband offices. Today's topic is meeting beads affordability requirements. It'll be hosted by NCTA, excuse me, NCTA and ACA. In order to receive funding for the BEAD program, states are required to submit a middle mile, excuse me, a middle class affordability plan, and providers must offer a low-cost broadband option to eligible subscribers. Um, so join today um, in the industry association's webinar to learn how your state can meet the NTI's affordability requirements. This gets us today's Fiber from Breakfast session with our good friend Jonathan Chaplin, the managing partner of Wall Street Equity Analyst Firm. New Street Research discuss fiber is not enough. Last week on Fiber for Breakfast, we spoke with Kate O'Connor and Evan View of the Subcommittee on Communications and Technology with the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Energy and Commerce on overcoming permitting roadblocks to be deployment. You know, this was a great session on the upcoming legislation that will be introduced on permitting. And we're very fortunate to have the opportunity to weigh in on this important topic. Today on Fiber for Breakfast, we have the opportunity to talk with Jonathan Chaplin, the managing partner of Wall Street equity analyst firm New Street Research, discuss fiber is not enough. Jonathan is going to share with us latest research on the factors beyond speed that could determine the winners and losers going forward in the battle for broadband market share. Jonathan Chaplin is the managing partner of New Street Research, a, a boutique equity research firm focused on the communication services industry with offices in New York, London, Singapore. And prior to New Street, uh, he led the telecom research team at Credit Suisse and telecom and cable research teams at JP Morgan. Jonathan started his career in finance in the MA groups at JP Morgan, focused on the telecommunications sector. Jonathan has repeatedly been recognized among the best on the street among telecom analysts by the Wall Street Journal, Forbes Magazine, and Institutional Investor Magazine. Jonathan is an avid alpinist climbing technical peaks all over the world when he can tear himself away from the world's 
of Finance and Communications. With that, welcome, Jonathan. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go and work them into the Q&A at the end. And with that, let's get things started, and I'll turn it over to Jonathan. Thanks, Gary. Um, uh, thanks for that kind introduction. I've got about 20 slides that I'm going to whip through pretty quickly and hopefully get to what will be an engaging debate with, uh, with your questions at the, towards the end of the session. So we started focusing on the opportunity in the, um, in the US for new fiber deployment at the beginning of 2020. And at the time we thought, based on our initial work, that there was a potential for fiber to go from, um, it was less than 50, 50, 55 million homes in 2020 when we started looking at it, um, but we thought it could ultimately get to 97 million homes or 67% um, of, uh, of locations in the US by the end of the decade. As we started doing more and more work, sort of peeling the onion back through the course of 2020, 2021, as the fiber deployments really started to get underway, and the data around the economics of fiber deployment uh, improved, we recognized that actually the, the opportunity for fiber deployments in areas that can be upgraded with um, with good economics without any, any subsidy support, um, just organically, was probably close to 120 million homes um, or 120 million locations. Um, and so we've increased our forecast to basically, you know, we, we don't assume fiber gets to every single addressable location by the end of the decade, but we now think it's north of 100 million locations, 108 million locations, basically 70% of locations passed by the end of the decade. And then when you fold in the bead funding, which we think will address about 9% of the, the, the country, we end up with fiber getting to north of 80% of the 80% of the market over the course of the, the next eight years or so. Um, what we would say is we've got a high degree of confidence in the endpoint. Um, the 80 plus percent in locations being served with fiber. If we're wrong, it'll be on the time frame, um, particularly sort of given the relatively sluggish start we're seeing from some of the big big deployers of fiber in, in 2022. It might take until 2032, 2035 to get to these levels of numbers, depending on how the the companies deploying fiber execute on the opportunity that's that's sitting in front of them. But sooner or later, we would bet that fiber is going to get to this portion of the country because the economics make it possible, consumers demand it. Um, and between those two, two factors and the fact that regulators want it to, um, it's going to happen. The only question is the time frame. So the our key message for you today is going to be if you're in the fiber business, you're in a strong position. You've got a product that wins in the market today, but you cannot afford to be complacent. The dynamics around competition are going to shift. The battleground for consumers, what drives consumers' decisions, um, is going to shift. And you need to be ready for that shift when it comes. Right now, you've got an advantage on the one metric that seems to matter most, um, and that's speed. Um, but that isn't going to be the, the only metric that drives decisions 
for households over time. Starting with speed as a, um, as a focus though, what we find in all of our, our survey work is that households can consistently say that speed is important. It's always uh, number one or two with price, usually number two. Um, and this has been a, a constant um, result that we've seen over the course of a decade. The one thing I would tell you, though, as we go through the next few slides, is have at the back of your mind that the narrative around broadband as a product was shaped by cable over the course of the last 15 years. Um, and they focused on speed because they had a clear advantage for most of the last 15 years on speed. And speed is a very easy factor to differentiate on. It's objective. Um, if you can boil the marketing message down to sort of two things, price and speed, and you've got an advantage on one or both of those metrics, um, and it's very easy for uh, consumers to judge between um, offerings based on those two metrics, of course that's where you're going to focus the attention of the market. The, the other thing to keep at the back of your mind is when cable started down this journey when the sort of the broadband market was evolving we started off at speeds which were you know orders of magnitude below where they are today and at that point in the evolution of the market speed mattered a whole lot more than it does uh, than it does now and so have at the back of your mind that speed is the way that products are differentiated in the market today um, it's a it's a very easy and convenient way for, uh, it has been a very easy and convenient way for cable to differentiate their product up until this point. And it's an easy way for you to differentiate your product today, but it's not the only factor that products can be differentiated uh, on. It's a function of how the industry's evolved and it'll likely evolve again. When we look at drivers of churn, speed always ranks as the top factor as well. Um, it's far and away, the number one factor that people list in terms of reasons for churn um, above price, above the fact that people move, um, above reliability, above just about everything else. And when we take the top three drivers and weight them, um, speed is still the number one factor uh, in terms of that, things that drive households to churn. The, the, um, the, the, the speed that providers are delivering to households has, has changed at a, at a phenomenal pace over the course of um, the, the, the last 15 years or so. Um, back in the DOCSIS 3.0 era, cable had a clear advantage on speed and they were you know, delivering from the tens of megabits up to about 100 megabits um, at the end of, the, at the, end of la the last decade. We haven't shown what the telcos were delivering on this slide because it was just much lower. Um, it was in the single digits back in 2007 um, and sort of in the teens um, around 2011 when cable was delivering 100 megabits per second consistently. In the DOCSIS 3.1 era, that improved dramatically um, up to a gigabyte per second by 2015, but for the area where Verizon had deployed BIOS, um, the, the ILEX um, were miles behind that benchmark as well. Um, but now in 2022, the tables have turned, and with XGS PON, 
um, fiber is able to deliver eight gigabits per second, and we'll show in a second, um, that probably increases to 25 and then 40 over the course of the next decade. Um, the, the, the capability of, um, of, of, of broadband infrastructure has just changed at a phenomenal rate. The, this shows that you know, the XGS pond at, at eight gigabits will go to 40 gigabits, a five-fold increase in speed over the course of the next few years. And along with that, we expect a continued phenomenal pace in growth and consumption at about a 20% CAGR. Um, we think the average will be north of a terabyte per month um, within the next few years. Fiber has a clear advantage on speed today and will do um, over the foreseeable future as far as we can, as far as we can tell. Um, the next upgrade, the, the current upgrade that Cable's doing will take them to five-ish gigabits per second in terms of commercially deliverable speeds um, on the downlink, um, and that won't get them to where um, most new fiber infrastructure is today. The upgrade beyond that will take them to something less than 10 gigabits per second where, where XGS PON is delivering, delivering speeds today. Um, that's probably in five years from now, um, and fiber will be, be well in its, um, uh, you know, well on its path to 25 gig on the way to 40 gig by that point. Um, but the, the, what we've discovered in our work is that while consumers say that, that speed is, is one of the two most important factors in terms of driving their decision, it actually doesn't matter to their experience anymore um, as much as you might think. So the the first thing we'd point out is 40% of people don't know what speed they're they're getting at home. Um, it's if the if the speed was was in, incredibly critical to their experience, um, they'd have an idea of of what speed they're on, um, and and 40% of people have no idea. That was on downlink speeds. When we look at up, uplink speeds, the amount of consumers that know what they're getting is even more abysmal. About 50% have no idea what their uplink speed is. About a third of people who think they know what their speed is actually have no idea what, what their speed is. We, we get responses with 33% of cable customers saying they've got a symmetric service when, you know, definitionally they don't. Um, fixed wireless broadband customers think they're getting 500 megabits to a gigabit per second when um, they're absolutely not. Um, um, and so, you know, amongst the group of people who think they know what their speed is, a lot of them just have have no idea. When you look at satisfaction levels um, uh, um, organized by speed tiers, what we find is above 200 megabits per second. Um, increases in speed really have no impact on the satisfaction of a household with their broadband provider. Um, the the differences from um, 200 up to a gig up to more than a gig are all sort of statistically identical. There's a step function change in satisfaction when you drop below 200 megs, um, and another step function change when you drop below 50 megs, and another step function change when you drop below 25 megs. So at the at the sort of the the low end of the speed tier speed spectrum, speed really matters. Um, at the higher higher end of the speed spectrum, 
it doesn't really matter at all to how consumers perceive their um, uh, their broad, broadband provider. Um, and so you've got to put the context, the, the 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 fact that we sort of looked at right at the beginning that speed is important um, into in, in, into context against this data. What it tells you is that speed's important um, up to a point after which it's no longer important. Really, what you should be you know, when we're asking the question of is speed important to you, um, we should be wrapping some context around that. And the reality is that, you know, I think everybody on this call probably recognizes that for the vast, vast majority of households, um, speeds between, you know, the, the difference between 500 megabits per second and a gigabit per second is completely imperceptible. The difference between a gigabyte and two gigabytes or uh, um, a gigabyte and five gigabytes is even, you know, more completely imperceptible, and and you know even differences between 200 megabytes and 500 megabytes per second are are are, are largely imperceptible to the vast vast majority of households, and so recognize that while speed is is a very easy thing to differentiate on, um, it actually doesn't matter. Um, um, nearly as much to the consumer experience as we've trained consumers to think, um, and as we, you know, would imagine in terms of sort of the focus that, that we as an industry put on uh, on speed. We know that speed can't can't matter as much as we all imagine it does because fixed wireless broadband wouldn't be taking as much share in the marketplace as they are um, if it did. It's a Fixed wireless broadband doesn't advertise um, speed as a differentiator. Um, if you look in the fine print, you'll find that you're guaranteed of speeds, average speeds, or, or your promised average speeds of 100 megabits per second um, and not less than 25 megabits per second. Anyone who's looking for what speed they're going to get on a fixed wireless broadband provider, um, that's what they're going to find in, in the disclosure. They're making a decision on a broadband provider with with no reference for the most part to speed and look what's happened to share of net ads over the course of the uh the last year um fixed wireless broadband went from nothing in 3q21 to being the preponderance of net ads in the industry by 3q22 when we look at the share of decisions within the market that's addressable with fixed wireless broadband today it's 24 percent um, which is phenomenal for a product that in every way is inferior to fiber and cable from a from a speed and reliability perspective. The, the, the sort of the factors that we think matter most. What's fascinating is that when we ask people on fixed wireless broadband pro products what's most important to them, um, price isn't the number one thing. They're not moving to fixed wireless broadband because it's specifically because it's being offered at 25 megabits per second. They're moving to fixed wireless broadband because they're frustrated with their existing provider. Um, and speed as a, as a feature is just as important, actually more important um, to customers of fixed wireless broadband uh, providers than it is to um, um, pro, uh, uh, customers of cable uh, and telco providers. Um, um, and, and yet the product doesn't, you know, they're taking share at an accelerating pace. Um, there's no mention of speed in any of their marketing. Um, and if you look for a 
what they deliver in speed, it's much slower. Um, so, you know, our, our point is that right now consumers are programmed to, to look at speed, but that narrative could change at the drop of a hat. And what we're seeing is cable companies already starting to shift the narrative. So they're going to start differentiating around two things. They're going to, on the one hand, start differentiating around not the speed of the broadband product, but everything that can be delivered over that broadband product. Um, and, and so they're going to start refocusing on the bundle. Um, obviously, selling cheap, cheap mobile is, is, is going to be a, a key differentiator for them. Um, but things that haven't been important, that have been diminishing, of diminishing importance, like video, um, I think are going to come back to the fore for the cable companies, along with a lot of other things that they've worked, spent money in developing, like home security, home automation, um, um, and other ancillary products. The second thing they're going to do is obfuscate the speed message. And we see this from Shaw on the right, um, lightning fast, fiber plus internet speeds. They're marketing their product as fiber plus. Um, they were sued by Rogers um, and won the case um, in, in, in Canada on the basis that 99% of the time that a bit's on their network, it's on fiber. Um, for the 1% that it's on HFC, that's the plus. Um, they got away with that in Canada, not clear of get away with a similar message here in the US. But the, 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 the point here is, you know, don't be complacent um, by resting on a metric that we know is actually not that important to the uh, experience of consumers because the, 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 the narrative, the marketing message around you can change. So what do you do about it? From our perspective, there are a couple of things. Number one is you, you have to take care of your customers. When we look at drivers of churn, the two biggest things that frustrate people um, are price, uh, pr uh, price um, and what we think of, what we sort of bundle is um, retention initiatives. What customers hate is the fact that the longer they're with you, the more they pay. Um, it's, it's not how they get treated by a lot of other consumer-facing um, uh, services. Um, and it's something they hate about the industry. When we look at how fiber companies stack up on price, it's actually great. Um, priced a little bit above the cable industry um, on lead offer prices, but a lot of the fiber providers have moved to a flat pricing architecture as opposed to big step ups. Um, and cable after the step up looks horrendous on a relative basis. We think NPS is critical to measuring your success with customers. Um, um, what we see here is we, we sort of, the, here we're measuring um, NPS at the provider level, not at the product level. So we can't distinguish between uh, DSL and fiber at, at say Lumen or Frontier. If we look at, at, at Verizon as our proxy for a fiber provider, although they're not entirely fiber, um, they're the number one in terms of NPS scores. Um, but there's a lot more than just a great product um, that they're delivering to, end, to their end users. Um, if, if we showed you scores here in wireless, Verizon is far and away the number one as well. Um, overall, they do a phenomenal job of taking care of their customers. Um, part of this, by the way, is a, um, a sensible pricing architecture. Um, if we look at the cable companies, they sort of hover around zero. Um, uh, the companies with a mix of products, DSL and fiber, um, have pretty abysmal um, 
um, NPS at the corporate level. If you were to look at this at, at NPS for the fiber product versus DSL product, I think it would look very different. But nevertheless, it's a it's a deficit that companies have to overcome. Um, skip the next slide and go to the. We think the wireless and broadband markets are going to converge into one marketplace. Um, and ultimately, you need to be prepared for this. And there are two things you need to put in place, an MVNO and then access to spectrum. Um, this is going to be a five-year journey. It's not a major differentiator um, or driver of consumers' decisions today, but you need to start working on this um, as a product category um, to be ready for it by the time, um, by, by the time it does become a differentiator. Um, Cable started working on this in 2011. Um, we first caught wind of the fact they were about to launch mobile in 2015. It took them until 2017 to get a product out of the door, and it took them until last year to really gain traction in, in, a product, in the product. And that's with significant investment for companies with a ton of scale um, um, that are fairly, you know, fairly sophisticated. So don't underestimate the challenges in getting into the wireless business, and it's going to become a necessity. Um, and then start thinking about all of the things that we thought didn't matter um, as part of the bundle. Um, the easiest one uh, to start working on is content, but there are going to be other things that, that are going to become important to provide alongside a fast broadband connection, uh, because that's where the, the competitive narrative is going gonna, is gonna to shift. It's going to shift away from speed um, to all of the things that you can deliver over a good broadband product. Um, and as, as an industry, um, you need to be ready for that. Um, and I think that's the, the end of the slides. I'm sorry, it took me a little bit longer than expected. Um, Gary, I'm not sure how much time we've got for questions, but over to you. Jonathan, this is great information. Really appreciate it. You know, when we did our, uh, at Fiber Broadband Association, did our net promoter score study, you know, we saw that telecom was the bottom of every industry. <laughs> and the good news is that the fiber providers were the, the best of the of the worst. But, um, you know, we so I, I think that net promoter scores, and I think you've, we've talked in the past that, that you think net promoter score is a good proxy for investment decisions. Um, you know, those companies that take care of their customers are going to be the ones that are going to do well going forward. Is that kind of the yeah. key takeaway from this study that you just did? Yeah, so that 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 recognizing that fact, Gary, was the driver of the study that we did. Um, Bain has done some phenomenal work on the relationship between net promoter scores um, and returns to investors um, uh, over time. There's a great book called Winning on Purpose, um, which is worth a look if you haven't seen it, uh, by the guy that sort of architected the system at Bain. So it's it's, it, it does ultimately drive returns on invested capital, um, profit margins, um, uh, and returns to returns to owners of assets. Um, we know it's important, though, because all of the companies that we cover focus on it maniacally. Um, it drives compensation decisions for leaders at at these companies, um, and it it they measure it. Um, and factor it into important decisions because they know um, that it's important to to driving value as well. I, I think it's sort of incontrovertible. It's it's lost on the telecom industry to a large extent 
or it hasn't received the focus in the telecom industry that it has in other industries because large portions of this industry have been uncompetitive um, for as long as the industry has been around. Um, if your customers didn't have an alternative, um, then you didn't have to worry about pissing them off. But the, the big shock of the last 18 months has been the impact that fixed wireless broadband has had on the industry. We, we saw it coming from a mile away. Nobody thought it would have any impact because it was a demonstrably inferior product. Um, you know, everybody, including the fixed wireless broadband providers, were shocked by the pace at which they were able to gain share. And that's 100% a function of how pissed off the customers of cable companies and telco companies were when an alternative showed up. They flocked to fixed wireless broadband just because it was an alternative, um, not because it was a better product, um, entirely as a function of frustration with, 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 existing, with existing providers. And so in an uncompetitive industry, um, NPS doesn't matter. You don't have to take care of your customers, but this has become a competitive industry. Um, and so taking care of your customers is paramount. Well, Jonathan, uh, we have a ton of questions, so hopefully uh, we will send you all those and you can follow up. But they really, uh, you know, go along the, uh, talking about speeds. And I mean, I think you kind of point out that, you know, once you hit 200 megabits, uh, you know, people aren't feeling the pain on speed anymore and they start worrying about other things. As we go to Web 3.0 and the next quantum leap in the Internet, you know, that, that you know, 200 meg might be some other number. Um, and it also looks like there's, um, you know, I got some comments in here that, you know, cable's doing some other things on coherent font and so forth. So they're not giving up on squeezing as much out of cable. But it seems to me that, um, you know, the cable industry should just, um, I can't imagine hanging on to the word cable much longer when they really need to, uh, you know, they've got to protect their market share and, you know, worry about, as you said, bundles and taking good care of their customers. Yep. Our message to the cable well, industry, Gary, is stop stop marketing on speed, put everybody on the gigabit tier, um, and start start differentiating on everything on everything else. Um, and my bet is that's where they're going to head over time, Gary. Well, Jonathan, again, um, I always appreciate the great job you guys do on uh, research and great insights for the industry. Um, so thank you for joining us together today, and I um, hope that. Um, our audience will get back together with us next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing how state and local leaders can close the digital divide by removing barriers to free internet with Evan uh, Marwell, the founder and CEO of Education Superhighway, as he discusses the affordability, affordable connectivity prong, me, affordability connectivity programs, progress, and the barriers that are keeping unconnected households offline. So you guys aren't going to want to miss that. We'll see you guys next Wednesday. Thanks again, Jonathan. Great job.